Howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Denisons, the Denisons, the busiest in the biz. You do know who it is, it's Dennis Quaid. That's him. Hi, this is Dennis Quaid, and you're listening to The Denisons. On this episode, I talk with Billy Ray Cyrus about his career, his recent success with Old Town Road, going all the way back to Achy Breaky Heart. We hope you enjoy this episode. You know, one of my, one of my questions, though, is, is going to be how you guys met. She stalked me. She stalked you. And that was, that was before social media or iPhones, I guess, right? I yes. was so high and drunk, it wouldn't have mattered. You know? <laughs> was it a gig? I, it was a gig. I played five nights a week in Huntington, West Virginia. Yeah. Hottest spot. Like, you couldn't get in there even on a Sunday night. Like, it was just made for people from Kentucky, Ohio, and West Virginia, the tri-state area. Yeah. And at that time, Kentucky was dry. So, ah, like, if people yes. wanted to party at night and actually go to a bar, they either had to go to southern Ohio right. or southern West Virginia. And I would alternate between the two. I'd play in Ohio for a couple years, and then if the club burnt down or something happened, then I'd move up to West Virginia. I'd ping-pong it a little bit, but our, the great thing was our fan base was so strong between those three states. Right. And it and, was kind of like I was already famous, but I wasn't famous. Yeah, I heard but you were only like, in you, that little place. You were selling out every night. Is that where Harold Shedd met you? Yeah, he uh, Harold Shedd sent Buddy Cannon, uh, the head uh, of A and R for uh, Mercury Records. Right. And what was interesting, they were it was a concert in Freedom Hall, which is a big venue, Louisville. Louisville's really almost a couple hundred miles away from Flatwoods yeah. uh, down the Ohio River. And um, some reason or another, the gig hadn't sold much. And it was um, maybe, I don't know, maybe I don't, tough times probably. But it was Reba McIntyre and Highway 101. Yeah. And somebody had mentioned, you put this kid on from Flatwoods, Kentucky, and, and this thing will sell out. And. So they put me on, mm. and it sold out, and Buddy Cannon came up, and that was... The, that he brought you to Nashville, right? Well, no, not exactly. But he brought he you He gave to... me just enough incentive not to give up on the idea uh-huh. of it. It was two years from the day that he came to see me play before they signed me to a contract. Yeah. Did it was you resist like, Nashville at all? I, not near as much as it resisted me. I'm talking about it. I'm talking about you were playing basically. You were rock and roll mm-hmm. at, at the time. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. But now I played as country as country can be too. Yeah, like well, you whole, are as country my, as country can be. I am actually even wrote a song yeah. called "Country as Country Can Be." Um, wrote it with my buddy Casey Bathard, and um, but I am as country as country can be. That's my roots. I mean, again. In that area, I'd open up for George Jones, or I'd mm. open up for REO Speedwagon, or mm-hmm. Dr. Hook, or Richard Marks, or Reba McIntyre, Highway 101, just wherever they'd let me on the stage. Yeah. And I could adapt to just about any crowd, any situation. What I loved, you asked, did I resist Nashville in the Nashville way? I probably could have got a record deal maybe eight or ten years earlier had I conformed and said okay man I'll yeah but you went to la for that i did and we'll get we'll get i want to mm-hmm. get to all that when we go but, but i kind of like start at the beginning if you don't mind but, i was born on august 25th 1961 our lady at belfont hospital yeah mm-hmm. and your your dad he was a, he was a politician he wasn't at the time at the time no he was a steel worker mm-hmm. for the uh, armco steel that whole region is built around the ohio river and coal mines right. and steel mills and um my dad 
um, he had a gospel quartet that was in my grandfather's uh, church. My grandfather, Papa Cyrus, was yeah. a Pentecostal preacher. Mm. And my dad's group sang in that church. And really, again, throughout the Ohio River Valley, the tri-state area, my dad and his group were famous. And they'd be on the Happy Goodman Sunday morning show. Oh, and, great. and that's where I fell in love with harmony. And that's when, if somebody right. was in the group and had to set out, I'd step in and sing their parts. Just I just loved harmony. Harmony then, is hard to yeah. just up and learn just right off the bat. Mm. You gotta have you gotta hear it and it's it's that's where you it just sort of soaked into you from mm. there, I would guess, right? I just But that's was, the first music you can remember yeah. uh hearing as a kid. Who do you first remember well hearing on the radio or listening to or first even tying in the fact that so I had this one very influential grandfather that was the preacher and my dad's gospel group it's Papa Cyrus but my mom's dad his name was Bill Casto mm -hmm. and he was a fiddler from Charleston West Virginia wow and he raised hell and rode the caboose on the Sino Railroad so I always had this I had two different grandfathers and two different styles of music my Papa Castro's style was, won't you come home, Bill Bailey, rolling in my sweet baby's mm. arms, mentioning what's the first thing I hear on the radio. Mm. Well, my life at that time as a three, four, five-year-old boy, on Saturday nights I'd be at my Papa Castro's house and he'd get that fiddle out. My uncle would play the guitar and my mom would play the piano and they'd just kind of, it was kind of like honky-tonk feel-good music. Right. We're and, talking about the 60s Yeah. Mm -hmm. growing up. Yeah. Around there. But they would play just, they would play, I guess, things that maybe my mom grew up on. So she played yeah. by ear and she'd play the piano. It just felt like feel good. I don't know. Kind of, kind of, kind of in the way they was rocking. And, but yet it was fiddles and a bit smoky. Yeah, my little papa little drank a little beer. You know? kind of in, yeah, all you know, music yeah. thrown in there. You know, I think uh, Johnny Cash. He was not, it was a little bit later. He had his TV show, but uh, it came right in yeah, there. The the music <clears throat> the music back then was was like that. And <clears throat> I basically I had kind of the same thing. My grandmother played the piano, and uh, my you know my my cousin is Gene Autry, third cousin. I didn't know that. And, yeah, and. Uh, <clears throat> from uh, Oklahoma, man, and there was always go to my grandmother's house. And it'd be like a show. Everybody had to get up and do something, whether it well, was is that. That's yeah. So you know the deal. You that's were taught that you had a talent. You, you go, we're just we're gonna find out what you're it gonna is. have you a song coming up. and get right. ready, and you get to get up, take the floor. Yeah, <laughs> man. There's so much <laughs> talent comes out of Oklahoma. Like I mean, that's just. You hear that cliche? There's something in the water. There is something. Something really in special. the water and. uh it's it's a way of of getting out into the big world because you just feel like you've got to get out and uh you know, but uh, those roots are they're great roots to have they really are uh, uh i used to be uh, jealous of people you know I, that grew up in new york or la being from texas because that was like you know where mm. the world was really happening i suppose mm. as far as being an artist or an actor or a, or a musician at that time and uh that I, I came to realize that I actually had an advantage over them because nobody moves to Houston or moves to, to uh, moves back to, to Flatwoods, Kentucky from New York or L.A. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? You, you, you have, have the benefit of both here you know, as far as culture goes. Right on. Yeah. But when did you, when did you start playing guitar? Well, I was going to be a uh, professional baseball player. And... I really started playing as early as picking up a guitar and trying to play. I should adjust that statement. Um, but everybody in my family played right-handed. Yeah. And you can see I'm very left-handed. I'm a left-handed, too. Do you yeah. play a left-handed guitar no, when I'm, you play? No, I'm left-handed to begin with. So do you you play a I play right-handed. See, I, if I could have done that, I tried, but I just thought I couldn't play. And so it took me a long time to pick it up too, because I was told it was a right-handed guitar, mm -hmm. and so I, it it took me a few years before I just I got one. But 
So did it feel uh, unnatural to you to, to play right-handed? I just thought God didn't give me the gift Yeah, that everybody else could play by ear. And I just thought, okay, I hear harmonies and I hear music and I love music, but God didn't give me the gift to play guitar. And so I thought uh, I was going to be Johnny Bench. I was going to be the right. next catcher for the Cincinnati Reds. Right on. When you grow up right there in the Ohio River Valley, that's – I, I mean, love red, Reds are everything. Back. Well, I, I threw baseball right-handed. See, really? That, that's why I thought I would play like everyone else because I threw baseball right-handed. Huh. I bat right-handed. Right. Now, oddly enough, I did kick left-footed. I don't know why. Huh. Something was very messed up with me. Still is. But um, that being said. I'm very confused myself uh, right now, I'm, being left-handed right and right-minded like I'm we serious. are. I'm you should see me confused. trying to figure out how to brush my teeth. It's like, which <laughs> hand am I going to use? You know what I mean? Or do I do it with my left foot? I mean, to this day, it's it's confusing. But that being said, I go, I'm going to be Johnny Bench. It don't matter. I yeah. mean, I'm being scouted by both the Reds and the Dodgers, and I did love the Dodgers wow. a lot too, though that, oh, was, that was the back Reds. When, like uh, the Cincinnati Boston World Series. Yeah. Which oh. was, mm. I think, my favorite World Series I ever saw. It was up there. Even though it ended in game six, but it, what an incredible. And Johnny Bench, mm. amazing. Yeah. Pete Rose. Yeah. Pete Rose. Surely they're going to do the right thing. Put him in the Hall of Fame right, right now while he's alive. Why not? Put him in the Hall of Fame. There's Why? enough going on. Yeah. Put Pete they Rose in the Hall of Fame. Slide. He deserves it. Give him one, too. He deserves it. Pete Rose deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. He really I does. I completely agree. He really does. So you I were, start, you I start thinking league, about it. I get, you played I, Little League and you, yeah. you, through, you were in a high school ball. And yeah. They scouted you. And you were I, was on, I was on my way. You were on I, your way. I was on my way. I was going to be one or the other. Um, the Reds or the Dodgers, I'd okay, either one. You know, my heart, though, was maybe with the Reds. But you were a pitcher and a catcher? No. I would pitch. If we ran out of pitchers, I would take the gear off and go out there and pitch if it came down to it. But I preferred yeah. – I loved being behind the plate. Like, to right. me, it's what my music is now. When I get in and get on my guitar and I get in the band, in some ways I still feel like I'm on that team in the infield and behind that plate because when you're behind the plate, you're – you're quarterback, and you're involved in every single right. play. Yeah. And I used to go out and tell my pitchers every now and then. I'd say, you know what this is now? It's me and you playing keep away against the batter. <laughs> and I loved when some of my pitchers learned to throw a good curveball or a drop ball yeah. or even a knuckleball, which is impossible to catch because you never know how it's going to move. But the yeah, better the a, arsenal. As a you, catcher, you know, you're back there, and you can see the whole field. You can see the, everybody's facing towards you. Mm -hmm. oh, oh, your players that's right the players and you're really kind of you're right you're kind of like the conductor you you got control of everything that's going to happen if you, you played it right and keeping everybody's morale especially the pitcher mm -hmm. back there i used to do this thing um like part of my job too was to get into the psyche of the opposing team so if they swung and whiffed on a ball, right. I might for a split second show it to them before I threw it back to the I wouldn't always be a butthole, but yeah. what, like sometimes like that was a bit my job. Matter of fact, I wouldn't say extremely often, but sometimes uh, my nickname was Blood because I seldom left the field that I wasn't bleeding from somewhere. <laughs> and my players they the guys on my team they'd either call me blood and some called me scrap because i would scrap scrap means fight and i get in a lot of fights but in a way it was kind of my job and if i could get a team so rattled rattled yeah. that they were functioning on beating yeah. me up that's fine with me beat me up yeah. but let me win the game and yeah, that was kind of my job. A little psychological. So, uh, plus, I just liked it. It was, it was like, I don't know. My, Again, you probably know my mom and dad got divorced when I was five, and my life wasn't easy. Again, my dad, when he, he was a steel worker, and he saw a crane fall and uh, cut a man's legs off. And um, that was mm. a pentacle moment in my dad's life, which turned out to be a, life-changing event for me also but my dad somehow the steel company 
wasn't going to pay for the man's family and insurance. And it was kind of like he just really, was, I know it was different times, but he, the, the, the steel company let him down. Yeah. And my dad took that as I'm going to stand up for working people. And he quit his job at the steel mill and went and put himself back through school. And he got a degree and became the head of the AFL-CIO yeah. of the state of Kentucky and a state representative from the 98th district of Greenup County, Kentucky. And he was doing that for 21 years. He retired. Too, right? uh, 21 years he did that. And my dad, his music was serving working people. That was his passion. He, he would go to work every day for the working man. As a matter of fact, we talk about Merle Haggard, Working Man Blues. That right. was kind of like my dad's anthem, right. you know, that and Mama Tried. Right. You know, and my dad always had a Merle Haggard eight-track cassette of something in his car. And a lot of times if he wasn't home, I'd get his car and drive it up and down the creek and stuff and listen to that. And Well, that my, says a lot about the values that, that you grew up in. I mean, it, it, sounds very much also like your grandfather being a Pentecostal uh, preacher who is that's what it is basically uh, helping people as well and mm -hmm. uh, so you were instilled with that at, at early age who when your parents were divorced did you live with your mom or your dad or it was like um I stayed with my mom like during the weekdays and then at the weekends I'd go stay with my dad but then my dad got really busy and sometimes like instead of him being in Flatwoods he lived in Frankfort, Kentucky and that's where the mm -hmm. capital is right. and so I would stay I really lived with my uh papa and mama Cyrus he when my mom and dad split he kind of moved back in with his mom and dad in their old family home yeah back in Flatwoods and so when I'd go stay with my dad, I was really staying with my papa and mama Cyrus for a lot, right? A lot of that time. And that's, uh, like I said, your your uh, grandfather was a was a musician. Yes. And this is where you came into the guitar, I guess. And uh, what was the first long song you learned to play, or that you wanted well, to learn to play? I got to tell you, you know, again, I was like nineteen or twenty, maybe twenty and was in that moment of playing for, at that time, um, Georgetown College. Mm. And I went to Moorhead on a scholarship, and I got kicked out of Moorhead State University. For what? Um, I had found a little um, stray dog on the highway that was starving, and I brought it into my dorm room and started taking care of it, and it became the dorm what dog. Was I was red. Her, her name was Red. It was a little red. Yeah. Um, I guess you might call it like an Irish setter, yeah. you know, with long red hair. And so well, we called her Red. Yeah. And uh, one day uh, while I was in class, the uh, police, the campus police came in and they drug her out and shot her. What? And I'm coming, yeah, I know, it sounds like you can't make this up. But I came out of the class and all my buddies out there, you ain't going to believe it, they came and got Red. They shot up. Well, what? I lost my damn mind. I went into this fit of rage. Oh, and wait a minute. Now, they I know. shot her. They took her outside and shot her right I'm there on the I'm pretty campus. sure right there. I'm pretty sure that's that. There were like, no animal services people around or anything so. like Not that? Not at they that time. I know it. Or I don't know. Just like no, she was the nicest dog in the world. Jeez. I know. That's what I said. And I said, couldn't you, you knew I was in class. I could have come here and got her and took her home, whatever. But anyway, so I, I flipped out. And um, on that given night, there was a lot of parties. Um, and I attended them. Yeah. And I drank heavily. Yeah. And I got extremely intoxicated. And I got in this, oh, gosh, it sounds horrible. But what? I got in this, well, I was drinking and driving. Yeah. And I wouldn't do this now. And grief. Oh, Lord. I got in this old Camaro I had, and I drew, drove through every presidential rose garden they had. If it said Moorhead State, I tore through it in my car. And the next day, they asked me to leave. And I said, by God, I'd be glad to leave here. And I, that was it. That, that was, was the, the end of your baseball that was career. The, well, for Moorhead State. Yeah. Then I went and played in my region for a bit, and then I went to Georgetown, and it was at that time 
I start hearing this voice tell me to buy a guitar and start a band and I'll find my purpose in life. Yeah. And it started dealing with me so heavy that my high school sweetheart broke up with me. And her and her family, number one, her dad wanted me to be the catcher for the Reds. And number two, um, they thought I was going crazy. Yeah. Could have been right on both counts. But that being said, it, this voice kept saying, buy a guitar and start a band and you'll find your purpose in life. And I always knew. Oh, what do you think that voice was? I don't know. Intuition, inner yeah. spirit, maybe, you know, uh, certainly maybe some type of guardian angels or yeah. maybe one, maybe two, maybe ten. Mm. I don't know. But it's it, we all have an inner voice. We're, right. we're made in the, the image of God. And I think we all have a chance inside of ourselves to tap into an inner voice. that. Sometimes that's two voices. I've heard, I find one's I, telling me I can't, and one's telling me I can't. Uh-huh. Oh, it always is. For every action, there is an opposite and equal reaction, yeah. and it must be as true as the light today. And can't not be false to any man or woman. There you go. It's just the law. Right. But that being said, I start hearing this voice, and I'm really flipping out at this point. My girlfriend's broke up with me. I've kind of lost my scholarship, and like it, everything's a mess, and I win tickets. I'm working at a tobacco warehouse driving a forklift, and they start giving away tickets to see Neil Diamond in Charleston, West Virginia. And I'd never won anything in my life. And I started a radio contest, and I started playing every hour. Well, I became obsessed with it because I knew when the day was over and I hadn't won that then I could realistically tell myself I probably needed to go get some psychological help. Because wow. this voice is, you know, I, it's probably not healthy. But instead, the last set of tickets they gave away at 11 p.m., I won. And all of a sudden, I won tickets to go see Neil Diamond. And I'm, it's like, like two or three days later, I'm driving to Charleston, West Virginia, by myself. My girlfriend wouldn't go. She didn't want to go anywhere with me. She had broke up clean. Yeah. And so I went to the concert by myself to see Neil Diamond. And he was singing Holly Holy Nights, Holly Holy Nights. Holly and he started, holy. yeah, Holly Holy, yeah, you know it. And yeah. people like standing up, and they're, in them days they're lighting their lighters yeah. up. And he's saying, in some ways, he was preaching a little bit, like, I don't care if you're a man or woman, rich or poor, white or black, where you come from, if you believe in your dreams, you can be everything you want to be in this world. And it's all about living for the light. It's all about having purpose. And it was that P word, purpose. I said, purpose. And then it was like hands were all around me, holding me. I know it sounds cliche to say that, but I felt like hands were completely, remember one great big yeah, hand this is important somehow surrounded life. me. Yeah. And I left that concert and the next day went and bought. On the way home, I pulled my car over to the side of the road. I, and I, again, they called me blood. I was a pretty tough redneck guy, yeah. you know. And I pulled my car over and I said, God, but I can't play guitar. And the voice said, buy a left-handed guitar. I didn't know there was a difference. I went and found one. I found one left-handed guitar the next day in Portsmouth, Ohio. And as soon as I picked it up, everything in my brain, I was like my brother and my dad and my mom, I could play. I just had the guitar the wrong way. Was it an electric guitar down. that you got? No, it was just an acoustic guitar. Nobody ever mentioned that you could just string it the other way. Well, it's a, I think it was a little more, and I didn't even know. I yeah, didn't of course think not. About it. But I mean, even, the only left-handed guitar player I can remember from back in those days was uh, Jimi Hendrix. Mm. And he played his backwards and upside down. Yeah. yeah. And, but even that, though, there's um, some technical issues, like with the bone and some stuff inside, like, you almost have to, even if you flip one over, you have to rebuild it just a little bit. Really? Even Hendrix, like his, his, he could turn it. But mine, this was an official left-handed guitar right. with the bone made to ah, slat yes. the way with the strings. Right. And just the second I held it, I just started playing. And then wow. everything that I always wanted to play, I just played and sang. And I left, bought that guitar, went home that night and started a band that night. And by two weeks later, I was making my living playing music for people. Yeah. And 
Was that I, with your brother? With my brother and um, a couple other guys from the warehouse where I worked, the cigarette warehouse. And, yeah, uh, and the band we, was called what? Sly, Sly, Sly Dog. Dogs. Yeah. yeah, we just had uh, this old dog that only had one eye. The other eye he lost in combat, and it was sewed shut. His name was Spike, and Spike um, had lost all of his hair. And in the summer, it gets pretty hot up yeah. there and muggy, and Spike had rolled over we started the band and i said man we got everything but a name and by that time spike rolled over and um every now and then in the summer he'd get these things we called them pecker gnats and he'd get these gnats flying around his belly yeah (laughs) and uh, he had a swarm of pecker gnats buzzing (laughs) over him there and i said i know it's horrible isn't it can we we can edit this? No, right? I, no we're okay. keeping the pecker nats. You can't say pecker nats. You, know, well, you can't say we're pecker nats on a podcast. Well, that's what they are. Scientists call no see bugs. It's, some might call it a no see but these was big enough you could see. And Spike rode over in all of his glory, and there he was. And I, I don't know, my drummer, his name was Bubba. Bubba Wildman said, Spike, you old sly dog, you. And I said, Slido, let's goes. be Slido. So to this day, I still name my band Slido. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, Dennis Queen here. You may know that I'm a musician and a huge music fan, and I want to tell you about a new podcast that I discovered. I've been listening to Eric Krasnow Plus One, a podcast hosted by Grammy Award-winning guitarist and producer Eric Krasnow. I love the interviews. They go deep with musicians, and you hear stories of life in the studio, Life on the road, (laughs) those are really good. Or bad, depending on which side of the story you're on. You got stories with bandmates and all the other shenanigans that go on behind the scenes. On Plus One, Eric has candid conversations with legendary musicians, many who are also his friends. And at the end of each episode, Eric plays a favorite track from his guest. So it's great for discovering new music, too. On Plus One, Eric has candid conversations with legendary musicians, many who are also his friends. And at the end of each episode, Eric plays a favorite track from his guest. So it's great for discovering new music, too. Eric's talked to people like Dave Matthews, Marcus King, Chris Robinson, and upcoming episodes feature conversations with John Mayer, Questlove, Derek Trucks, Phil Lesh, and so many more. So take a listen to Eric Krasno Plus One. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere you get your podcast. Hi, Dennis Quaid here. Hey, we all have tough days and things that interfere with our happiness or achieving our goals. If you are looking to better yourself, then you should look into better help. That's better help. H-E-L-P. BetterHelp evaluates what you need and connects you to your very own licensed professional therapist. You'll be connected in less than one day, and you can send messages to your counselor anytime, day or night. This is not self-help, but it is professional counseling from the comfort of your own home. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you could schedule your own weekly video or phone sessions, confidential, convenient, professional, and affordable. I want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash Quaid. Join over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Quaid. So you started... uh just playing gigs uh went out and hunted them down and well i found out that people would let you play just about anywhere if you did it for free right and so immediately i had a blue light special on sly dog that if you had a pool party house party anything right. we'll come play for it and luckily uh there was a prison out there called summit prison and summit prison uh gave us our first real gig and so we went into Summit Prison, and all the prisoners had made 
posters with their paint and the whole thing said, welcome, Sly Fly. And I thought, wait a minute, it's okay. They call us Sly Fly. We're going to be Sly Fly today, guys. They must have heard about so, those peckerwoods. Yeah, they must have heard. I know. It was kind of like that. I was like, yeah. Sly Fly. So we played that first gig, and it went really well. And um, just, I don't know, work got around town. All of a sudden, what happened was, like, I would go to a – I went to the – First place I went to over in Ironton, Ohio, a bar over there called the Sandbar, and they didn't have a band. Yeah. And I went in there and somehow convinced the owner that if he'd let me and my band come in there, we'd play for the door, but his empty bar wouldn't be empty no more. Right. And I didn't really have anything to base that on, but I just said it. And lo and behold, he put us in there, and what happened was the the he started growing really fast, and all of a sudden his bar was the bar to come to, and it was packed. And then not only was we paying for the, playing for the door, but he'd pay us. And like, I started making my living playing music. And wanted to keep you around. Yeah, and we stuck around. How much so, did you make back then? Well, and we're talking. Much. What year are we talking about now? We're talking about well, I guess 1982. Yeah, 83. Yeah, and then uh, uh, somewhere in 82 and 83, I moved to another bar called Changes, and the Sandbar and Changes was competing against each other. Mm -hmm. And for me, in my Flatwoods, Kentucky ways, again, I didn't do that great in school, but all of a sudden I realized the negotiating power of- You had leverage. You, get, you, you let these guys, yeah. which one's gonna pay you the you most? The and that's covered. where your band will play. Yeah. So we moved up to Changes, and it was really cool, and it grew and grew and grew, but in 1984, it burnt to the ground. And by then, I had already been turned down by Nashville many times. All your equipment, too. To Lost everything. It, right? mm -hmm. And um, I, I just, uh, by then, I'd opened up for George Jones and just many, many acts coming through that area. And going down to Nashville, every time they'd say, well, you're rock and roll. And I said, no, no, you got to listen. No, you couldn't even, back in those days, you they wouldn't even let me in a door. I don't really. You were remember. playing a lot of covers back then, or were you writing at Always the same time, a, or what? Pretty much originals. I started yeah. writing the day I got a guitar. I wrote a, a song that night. And um, who'd you try to like emulate? I know, every, you know everybody starts out sort of. I think I was always somewhere in my roots of. Um, uh, there's always some type of spiritual essence if not i don't want to use the word mm -hmm. i'll use the word southern gospel because mm -hmm. i was heavy into southern rock and roll right and i found there was something a common like denominator Almond brothers and leonard skinner leonard skinner of course marshall tucker who yeah, we played marshall, with just yeah. a couple of weeks ago and they was every bit as good yeah. two weeks ago oh, down in louisiana oh, oh they I burned him up in branson a couple Fantastic. Of years ago i had the pleasure of an honor mm. of being on stage with them mm. that guy can i know rip it still yeah it was amazing. Yeah. Uh, Marshall Tucker, uh, just, I mean, they, they were a huge influence. Charlie Daniels was a huge influence, but yet so was Johnny Cash and Glenn Campbell. My dad yeah. always had Glenn Campbell eight tracks. Mm -hmm. He had Merle Haggard, Glenn Campbell, um, Johnny Cash, George Jones, um, obviously Hank Williams, Hank Williams Jr., mm -hmm. um, the Scruggs, whether it was uh, uh, Ralph Stanley or Mountain Boys or mm. just like we loved going to bluegrass festivals. And so I loved bluegrass. To me, it all felt I never even really thought of any style of my music. I loved Led Zeppelin and ZZ Top. And right. I loved all that. 60s and 70s yeah, country, rock and roll. Country rock you know, yeah. was really going on back then. There was a, a, a good mix of it. Yeah, I, there were the Eagles who were really. Oh, yeah, the Eagles were so huge. Cosby, <clears throat> Stills, Nash, and I never ever found myself in a position wondering like, what am I going to call what I do, or what is the style that right. I do? I never ever put that burden on myself. I said, what you do is you play what you feel, and just keep it real. And and, and as far as your writing mm -hmm. goes, was that did you write from personal uh, experience uh, at first, or did? Uh, did there's only been a very, very small, I can only think of, uh, I almost really can only think of one song that I ever wrote on purpose. Some and, came off? And that was the some, verse. And some, gave, uh, some gave off? Well, see, 
but some gave all I wrote that song but I never intended on writing that song I was just driving home from my gig in West Virginia and I do like this for people on radio you can tell my hands going from the air to the top my songs seem to fall from the sky like mm -hmm. I don't know where they come from but it's um when I'm going through something the words and the music just comes to me and I Back in those days, I'd have a micro cassette and I'd just sing the song. All of Some Gave All came to me on US 52, leaving Huntington, West Virginia on a Sunday night. Uh, in the last week of May of 1989, and it was right around the time Buddy Cannon had came to see me. I guess it inspired me a little bit. Mm -hmm. And uh, then uh, on a Tuesday night, I wrote, Where Am I Gonna Live When I Get Home? My first wife had set all my stuff out. And so on Wednesday morning, when I pulled up to my house, I said, where am I going to live? Where am I going to live? And I, where am I, I going to live when I get, get home? home? And I go, boom. And I, <laughs> I'm sitting in front of my house great singing, life. where am I going to live when I get home? My old lady throwed out everything yeah. on. She meant what she said when she wished I was dead. So where am I, I going to live when I get, get home? home? And then that's how they come. So I just yeah. sing, sing the melody. Well, some gave and, all. Was was uh, was this somebody that you personally knew? Yeah. So that Sadie? yeah. So, so where am I gonna live? Was Wednesday morning, but it was a Tuesday night that evolved into Wednesday yeah. morning. Then Wednesday night, I felt really sad. I'd messed everything up, and it was a horrible mess, and everybody right. was sad. So that night at the bar, went back to the bar, and I wrote a song called "She's Not Crying Anymore." And then on. Thursday and Friday and Saturday, I didn't write any songs. And then on Sunday night, I met Sandy Kane in Huntington, West Virginia. And he was a Vietnam veteran mm -hmm. that had... I knew everyone that came in that bar, and I'd never seen this man. I knew that he was either traveling or perhaps a drifter, or somehow he was just coming through town. And so I introduced myself between the um, on the last break, between the third and the fourth set, and... I said to him, I said, are you a Vietnam veteran? And he said, yeah. And I said, can I buy you a drink? I got him a drink and said, you got any songs you want to hear? And he wanted to hear some Credence and some Leonard Skinner mm -hmm. and like all the favorite things right. I like playing anyway. And then uh, I did the fourth set and then driving home that night, I was documenting in my micro cassette, I met Sandy Kane tonight. And, he reminded me of a statue I used to see when I was a kid in uh, Kentucky. Uh, there was a statue of a soldier that said, all gave some and some gave all. And then I just started singing. His name was Sandy Kane. So I said, I knew a man called him Sandy Kane. Few folks even knew his name. And just the rest of the song came. That song is just as relevant today as it was then. Mm. And uh, it was... The Vietnam veterans back then, as I remember it, you know, they they never got a parade when the, when the, when they came home. A lot of them were spit on and cussed at and really rejected by it and forgotten and uh, for what they did over there. I had a lot of friends in college who were really messed up by the war, and I was when the memorial came along, which mm -hmm. I think was what uh, it mid 90s it was it, uh, it was like erected by 1992 yeah and uh, uh, yeah a lot of them gone there and it was finally starting to turn that, that mm. they were uh, finally getting their homecoming is what it felt like and uh, you know I went over there myself a friend of mine Steve Driscoll his brother was has his name on that wall and uh, that was a that was something else but uh that, that's a great song. Thank you. And uh, Thank I, I, you play for a lot of veterans uh, groups. Have you been out on, on the USO or around uh, playing? In, oh yeah. Played for the military at all? We we the, play a lot. Yeah. Played in, you know, all around the world. Yeah, I'm sure you actively really in two that. separate war zones. Oh really? You know, yeah. Where? Both Afghanistan and Iraq. Oh really? Yeah, on the ground and me running around this guitar i the the case i carry to this day still has mud on it from afghanistan really? I've, i'm never gonna wash it off yeah and um but that song ironically um uh, back to that one week of 1989 i ended up writing three of the songs that was on the 10 
that would eventually come out in 1992. Well, this was May of 1989. Wow. I still had a long way to go. There was still, like, it took a long time for that deal to even... So there were three songs in just about a week. In, in less than a week. On, those, on yeah. your first record. That's right. Those three songs yeah. came that week of 1989, and some gave all being the title cut. Now, when they... Uh, signed me to the deal. The first song I cut was Some Gave All, but that left nine more songs to cut. And I had written most of the other nine, but I did hear a very rough demo, very primitive, written by a Vietnam veteran yeah. named Don Von Tress. And as soon as I heard it, I stood up. I was in my guitar player's house. I stood up and said, that's me. I love that song. Let's go work it up. And we went to the little lounge that I played, the Ragtime Lounge. Yeah. We worked it up that day. It was called Don't Tell My Heart. Don't Tell My Heart. And from that moment on, that night, people just all night long holler, play that achy breaky song. Play that achy yeah. breaky song. I said, we was just achy, played it. Was achy breaky even uh, it was in, in it. the lyric? It was in there. Yeah. But it was called Don't Tell My Heart. Yeah. And... From that night on, it seemed very obvious to me that that song was probably called Achy Breaky Heart. And um, when I went and recorded it, then just a few weeks later. So it was your fans that were telling you what it was. They said Achy Breaky Heart. The people yeah. in the bar, they said, play Achy Breaky Heart. And I, saw, I met Don Von Tress at the music mill where I recorded the album. And mm -hmm. it's the first day we met. And he said, thank you for writing Some Gave All. And I said, thank you for writing Don't Tell My Heart. He said, oh, thanks, man. He said, they say that song's going to do good. And I said, I hope so, man. And I said, J I said, and I didn't, we didn't know each other, so I didn't want to, like, step on any toes or anything. So I said, hey, have you ever thought about and wondered if the title is right? And I felt really bad he's been saying that. But I said, right. did you ever wonder if the song should be called Achy Breaky Heart? And he said, I don't care what you call it. Just put it out. <laughs> and so the record company changed it to Achy Breaky Heart. And, yeah. Well, it, and it luckily it worked. It so Don and I. Everybody knows well, Achy Breaky Heart. He joined the band. Yeah. I put Don in the band and he became oh, really? my best friend, my songwriting soulmate. To this day, I wrote more songs with Don Von Tress and what would happen. Again, I don't write on purpose, but Don and I would travel together, whether yeah. it was a Learjet just or on the bus. Other, right? And if I had something coming to yeah. me. I'd go back to the back, and I'd, I started getting uh, recording gear for the back of the bus way before it was cool to start making in-home studios. Mm. But again, I just never really fit into that Nashville mold and that Nashville sound. And that, to me, it was always about making things real, and I found more realism just by keeping it raw. Right. And, uh, Everything was come very, back, he, became he very produced up. by that time. Yeah. It was and, kind of the end of the Outlaws era and uh, moving into what became sort of country. I mean, it was going more pop and more produced. And One of the first songs Don and I wrote together was I was telling him one night, and this was right after the first album came out and he had joined the band. And first thing we did, first time Don and I ever played together in this wild you reminded me of it when you mentioned the wall. Don met me at the uh, Vietnam Veterans Wall in uh, Memorial Day of 1992. Mm -hmm. And it's a motorcycle rally called Rolling Thunder. Right. And Don Von Tress was going to join me in the band. And he went and touched that wall for the first time. And he, he did two tours in Vietnam. And he knew a lot of names on that wall. And it was, a, it was a sad day. It was raining. And mm -hmm. I remember even... You know, Don saying to me, it's so appropriate that it just feels like it should be pouring the rain. And uh, we did some gave all that day, and it was after that. I said, man, well, you, I don't know what you got wow. going on, but if you want to just join the band. Well, he did, and pretty soon I started telling him things that I was had always been important to me of, like, um, the environment. I was singing about going green way before it was cool to sing about going green. Even as a young kid... Um, in some ways, I was a bit of a terrorist because, oh gosh, that sounds horrible, but like a Greenpeace terrorist, like <laughs> save the environment terrorist. I'm yes. digging my whole deep yeah. What are but, the, Getting in front of the get whaling boats and well, all that. What I would do, if I saw a tractor coming to tear up our right. forest to build new houses, me and my brother would go out in the middle of the night and 
take the gas casks off and put dirt in the gas tanks. Does that does that come out of your uh, out of your faith? Do you have a faith in particular that? You, oh, I have a faith. You consider yourself a Christian? I consider myself a Christian. I consider myself um. I like combining all the beliefs, and I think right now we're just really in a spot to. Um, Certainly, I believe that Jesus Christ lived and died for my sins. And, uh, you know, there's no doubt John 3.16, that's, 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 right. that's, that's my faith. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I do know that the Native Americans had the belief that if there is a Heavenly Father, which they said there's a Heavenly there Father, oh, Heavenly yeah. Father, you know, oh, Great Spirit, mm-hmm. Heavenly Father. Well, if there's a Heavenly Father, there must be a Heavenly Mother and that faith is the mother earth it was obvious mm-hmm. like okay you got the father the mother is the earth and the mother you got to take care of her she's fragile and we're depleting her and abusing her and you could see it coming but by the time 1992 93 and all this started happening and about that time the Dolphins started washing up on the shores, and because of CNN and the visibility that all of a sudden we was able to see around the world, we didn't see that stuff a whole lot like before that. And as the world started expanding into our television sets, we were able to see that, my God, this is bad. The Native Americans are right. we got to take care of the earth. And Don and I wrote a song called Geronimo. Um, Geronimo is, uh, is exactly about taking care of the earth and and being a light in the world along with uh i told him about the uh, and being some very the, connected to yeah, the world too just being it, connected it, it, in, in, the, in the spirit world the, the native american culture the animals in the forest they, they worshiped everything that was part of the great spirit mm-hmm. the the bear and the bear is very fascinating mm-hmm. you know it's almost a godlike and, and the buffalo and and uh the reverence and a respect for everything and knew how everything was a part of everything else and and dependent on everything else their culture was uh i myself an honorary uh oglala sioux uh, yeah i met jim red clouds uh <clears throat> jim red cloud he was the grandson of chief red cloud who had uh taken the Sioux back to the mm, reservation and yeah. in last thing and yeah uh, what a great man i met him in houston he was working as a security guard and i used to hang out at his house and the, this is in the middle of Houston, but all kinds of animals and birds would just show up at his house. Mm-hmm. The, you know, the, you ever seen those big flocks of birds that, you know, are like a cloud at night mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, before they light down? Mm-hmm. Well, they would light down right at his house, like hundreds of them. I learned a lot from that guy. But uh, anyway, I uh, had an amulet that was uh, from uh, the Oglala Sioux tribe by the Meta medicine man there and uh my name was ishimata one who makes music so mm. but i've always I like had name. a real affinity for the for native american culture wow that's but, beautiful yeah you know there's a lot um to be learned and a lot that we still can learn um two years ago i was uh contacted by mark ruffalo do you know him Yes, yes. See a friend of yours? Uh, I know him, yes. You and him. Oh, I'm having a vision. You and him doing something together. You talk about pure power. You and Ruffalo. Oh, man, I'm having a vision. I'm having a vision on this. You need well, to meet we him. We both had a relationship need- with Meg Ryan, so why not? Oh, what? <laughs> I don't know nothing about that. But I can tell you, Mark Ruffalo, he is a good spirit like you. And he... You mentioned the Dakota Sioux in North Carolina, uh, yeah. North uh, Dakota, South Dakota, that region. He was going there and has for years went there. And, and uh, we, I for a long time have been bothered by the missing and murdered indigenous women and the fact that there is right. no statistics in Washington, D.C. You can, you could disappear from other places and there'll be a statistic on you right but for young girls from the native american tribes for years and years and years they've disappeared and there wasn't even a statistic in washington dc saying 
Susie Joe was gone from the reservation. Even though they may have been reported, because I mean the reservations were basically nations under themselves. That were that's right. Not yeah. You know. And they had no addresses. Like, and right. what Ruffalo was doing was he was going to the Dakotas to help get the Native American addresses so they could register to vote. And so I went and joined him on this trip two years ago. Hmm. And um, do you know that they, they, what I thought was so beautiful, number one, these kids got an address for the first time they could realistically say, I live on the Sioux Reservation on Long Street at wherever. But they had, so they're up right off the bat. If That's more, a big if, deal. If a child goes missing, yeah. they had an address. Right. Second of all, their voice, they had a voice to vote. They came out and registered to vote. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's uh, North Dakota or South Dakota. They elected their first female Fantastic. indigenous um, legislator in Washington, D.C. Fantastic. Um, and it, it was a powerful, powerful thing to see the... Um, there is a great power uh, when people unite. And, and mm-hmm. again, for me, all of us as human beings, it's about uh, purpose and finding our own. What is our way that we can give back in some way to, you know, help our fellow man and help our earth, help the really animals, what it's whatever about. it is. It's not about the guilt of what happened really in the, in the 19th century. Oh, you know, that was, that was kind of a terrible thing the way that. Uh, Native Americans had their culture and their their lives and property and everything taken away from them. But it's really more about here we are now, and let's all help each other. Mm-hmm. We can only enrich each other by where we came from and help preserve each other's culture. Amen. And uh, that's where it's at. I really do believe. And Amen. when you talk about it that way, you're really talking about the red words of Jesus, really, what uh, which is the way he operated love thy neighbor yeah and people say you know you use back in the day you'd read these bumper stickers that said god is love mm. whoever wrote that nailed it when you combine all the religion you look at everything and go oh, yeah, it's hard to define this and that but i think you could pretty much get it right there yeah god or as matthew love. mcconaughey would say g-i-l huh <laughs> but g-i-l god is love and that is true. <laughs> I've never heard him say that. He's always he trying always to sell me a, a Lincoln. He always every, had a JK. Every time I see him, he's selling me a new Lincoln. You know what I mean? He always, Matthew says JKL, which is just keep living. Man. Hey, I went through this phase. I hope this don't sound horrible, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. I yeah. went through this stage. It started about two years ago. Uh, I started asking myself, I, I was pretty religious at that point. And, yeah. you know, you see these bracelets that say WWJD. What would Jesus do? Mm-hmm. The war won for years. But I found myself in this turbulent time period of my life. And I don't know, maybe it has something to do with becoming an old man. And things get a little heavier. And and where I didn't fit in before even felt like I fit in even less. Mm-hmm. And somewhere some things came into my life and I started saying, WWJD, what would Johnny do? And I started trying to answer everything that questioned me. I'd say, what would Johnny Cash do? Mm. And even down, you know, to when this deal came up with Old Town Road and Little Nas X and is it country, is it not? Is it this, is it that? I asked myself, I said, what would Johnny do? Johnny was never one to close the door and on the expansion and inclusiveness of what music should oh, yeah. be. I'm I mean, you're talking about a man. Bob that, Dylan. I, I mean, talking right. About, you know, you're way back in the day. And I said, what would he do? I said, well, number one, they ask you to come sing with come this sing. kid. I'm going to come and sing. I'm going to stand yeah. beside him. And then they asked me to write a verse. Uh, talking about songwriting on purpose, yeah. that's the only song I can think of that I ever wrote on purpose yeah. was my verse in Old Town Road. Yeah, well, Little Nas, I, the way I, I was talking to David Ferguson yesterday. Uh-huh. Uh, I, was in, I love you David know, Fergie. Oh, yeah. I love Fergie. Yeah. And, uh, Is he out here? No, yeah, I saw him in Nashville. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was there yesterday. But he was telling me that uh, Little Nas had, had, uh, he had written a song and put it on TikTok or whatever, and they saw it spike or whatever. But he had, was thinking about you. Uh, 
even before they had contacted you. Fergie said that about me? No, little Nas was thinking about you. Oh, yeah, yeah, for, yeah. Because uh, I think about Fergie all the time. His I love example him. Of, of country music, he'd, been, he'd watched Hannah Montana. He was yeah. Such a, uh, Fergie and watched he, Hannah Montana, too. Yes, we all did, except for me. I'm a little too old. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, when it came out, they 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 taken it off the air mm-hmm. because they didn't have a co- enough country elements in it, correct? Yeah. yeah. And and how did you come into the picture? Well, that's a good question. Who would think to add me as the country element? But they asked Lil Nas. Said, "Well, who's?" They, they, he said, "I was the only country guy he knew," and so the song, you know, came into my world. I listened to it. I said, oh, "I love it," but I mean, you know. What's there that I can do to and it? And they said, we and need they said, you to write a third sing. verse or whatever? Well, no, they didn't tell me that in advance. They didn't tell me that until I showed yeah. up to go sing it. Oh. But I did fall in love with it so much, they said, when can you come sing it? And I said, today. And they could. it was on a Friday, and they right. couldn't get an engineer that late on Friday. So they said, how about tomorrow? And I said, I'll be there. And that gave me time to, A, I went in, I started asking Alexa. Alexa played Little Nas X, Old Town Road. It would play, and i go, Wait a minute. In some ways, that's just that roots rock, feel good mm-hmm. country, mandolin driven music mm-hmm. that I grew up on with my papa down there playing. Yeah, and it really sounds like old time gospel. It all was, the old it, time, yeah, it's like it was written long ago. That's right. right. And so I started. Then I, I worked up my vocal parts. I said, I'm gonna go in there and sing it. Then when I showed up, that's when they said, We want you to write a verse. I go, Oh, you didn't get the memo. <laughs> I, I don't write on purpose. Yeah. And uh, but yeah, I, Fergie said that you said I only write in desperate out of desperation. That's right. Man. I it's, can't just do this. Yeah. It, it's <laughs> it's best described. And I, I hate to even say this, but um, I usually have written my best songs when inspiration and desperation collide yeah and it's somewhere in the insane chaos that a song will fall i don't know how that works yes i understand it's somewhere in the dust i don't know out of the ether out of the ether right Mm -hmm. become manifest yeah but, but you luckily, had, you, today you we got, got in there. SoundCloud. Did, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> Alexa. Yeah. Alexa's writing me song. Yeah, Alexa. But, yeah. but you, so, yeah. you get, so you get in there and the, you didn't get the memo. I didn't so, get the memo. I said, well, luckily, um, uh, they had brought in a, uh, a very successful rap writer, a young mm-hmm. lady named Jazzy. And Jazzy's like, I said, well, I, I, I'm sorry, ma'am, but I can't write on purpose. And she goes, all this is is about taking you and putting you in this song she said look at you you got your hat down i had on ball cap like you did and it was sitting kind of low she said you got your hat down and then that started i i was holding my guitar i said well i did drive across town and brought my brand new guitar she goes that's a brand new guitar and within three minutes we just spat out some words i mean three minutes like she said, I don't know, for some reason, I thought it was funny to say, baby's got a habit, diamond rings and marijuana. And they go, Tish was sitting in there, too. And they go, baby's got a habit. And she goes, I love diamond rings and I love marijuana. And then it's like, but I don't think you should sing that. But she was carrying a Fendi bag, mm-hmm. like a purse. Yeah. And Jazzy said, Baby's got a habit, diamond rings, and Fendi sports bras. Yeah. I don't know what a Fendi sports bra is. <laughs> I probably need one, but it sounds good. Not yet. And then, Not yet. No. And no then way. I started going, hey, I said, you know what? In the 80s, when I lived out here, I said, I lived here about a decade and thought Rodeo Drive was called Rodeo Drive. And every time I go get in there in my car, I said, oh, man, I got a gig down at Rodeo <laughs> Drive. And I thought, what a dumbass yeah. I must sound like. And they go, that's it. And Say something about Rodeo Drive. And then Tish or, or Jazzy, one of them, said something about Maserati. Maserati. I was like, <laughs> I would have never thought of a Maserati. But something about that felt just right to go in there. Yeah. Maserati. And then I had, for me, the only thing I said, only, gosh, I said something about the Marlboro Man. Something uh-huh. I think about my dad, the Marlboro one. Man. And then um, – Said now all we got to do is now let's just button it up and take it all back to Old Town Road, and so we did. And it's three minutes, and then 
she sent me in the vocal booth and then I started singing it like a little Nas. I was doing the, mm. like the low rap, you know, mm -hmm. and everything low. And she's like, no, no, no. She said, you should go twice as high. I said, oh no, I can't go twice as high. I said, that's crazy talk. And she said, just try it one time. So I went up, hats down, and she said, that's it. That's, the, that's it. And so I would have never thought of that. I would have never thought of going up to Yeah, it, it's something. So, so I had some help. things like that happen to me is like a little tinge of fear goes up me or whatever. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's good to get out of your comfort zone. And yeah. Don't you think? I think, oh, you got to. You got to. Hey, everything in life. You know what I told Lil Nas early on? I, I, I think about this a lot when I talk to kids. If I go talk to songwriters or whatever, I, anybody in this business, no matter what you're in, in this world today, whatever your expertise or whatever your profession don't try to think inside the box. Don't try mm. to think outside the box. Think like there is no box because there is no box. <laughs> all the walls have been taken down and there is no box. If you Just can be think all, it, as you authentic can do as you it. can be. Right? If you can think what it, you can. All that the voice inside, inside you yeah, that you're right. talking about. That's right. Yeah. That's it. That's it. But I, that, that song is irresistible. <laughs> oh, I was like, uh, that, that night at the Grammys oh, was. Yeah. Uh, what a performance. Mm, I mean, it was you. really just the hit of the entire show. And uh, backstage, when you came back and you were playing guitar with the choir there. Oh, yeah. That was yeah. such, it was oh, just, that you. was, uh, that was, it was such a joyous, thank joyous time, man, that you. you really put out for people. Thank you, sir. Yeah, they're, they're starting to talk about our time. Oh, but I did. Do you got anything well, on your mind you want to ask? Well, or? we just, we didn't get it except for your lovely wife, Tish. She bailed on us. Yeah, she bailed She's on like, us. She, she got but stuff to do. You guys met you around the time that. of Aki Breaking yeah. Heart, right? And you wouldn't believe her now. She got, like, movies going on. She's got, I mean, it's She manages Miley, Noah, me. She's the gatekeeper her, for you. She was protecting you at the Grammys. And she it, is something. She really is something. A really beautiful she, gatekeeper you and got there. I'll tell too. you what she is. She She's uh, remarkably strong. And again, she comes from exactly where I come from, yeah. those hills of Appalachia. And there's something about the fact that, I mean, now she's, this song I'm singing by Neil Diamond, LA's fine, the sun shines yeah. most, most of the time. time. That's about the truest thing you can mm -hmm. say. Of all the good and bad and different things of living different places, there's one thing about LA, they got the weather. Yeah. You know what I mean? For that the most is the part. Truth. Whew, Love Man, it. they got the weather. Well, we didn't really get to get uh, deep into. I think it deserves another visit here on the Denisons sometimes. But just uh, don't I, mention Peckernats. I do not. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna start a Peckernat farm. <laughs> you know what? I think that's what <laughs> I'm out to do. Man, now that could be the pet <laughs> rock of the next Christmas season, dude. <laughs> dude, that's that's a lot to be. I'm, seriously, I want to go there. I'm gonna yeah. bring all my dogs to come see you. But we we didn't really get to get into it. well, we got it right up to Aggie Braggy Heart. But every, anything every, you want to ask, I, I got time. Whatever you want to do, well, you got something on your heart? Uh, anything you want to talk about? Uh, I would like to save it for the next time. I think I, all I can good. tell you is that you know I've uh, I just love <laughs> being with you here today. There's so much in common that you and I have, but I think so many people. Uh, of your fans feel that about you. And I think that's the reason that you've had uh, durability and that you've lasted is because you have uh, a joy in your heart for what you do. And uh, that it's held up and I'm sure it's been tested many times, but uh, you're a great star, you're a great artist, and I really appreciate having you here on the show. Thank you for saying that. And I'm gonna leave you with this. It it ain't anything great that I did or anything persistence for one reason. It's not a very glorified word, but just the fact of keeping on, keeping on. That combined with, luckily I had some really good friends that came into my world like Dolly Parton and Carl Perkins, mm. Waylon Jennings. Mm. The guys and the girls that said, keep it real and remember this word, 
Dolly, most importantly, she overemphasized it over and over. She'd say, reinvention, reinvention. And just when you think you've done something, don't be afraid to try something new and go reinvent. And luckily, that, that word, it's, it's, to this day, I don't know where I'm going to go from here. I don't even, I mean, just sitting here doing a podcast, this reinvention to me. Yeah, same you know here I mean? for This me. is the new world. This is the new world. So yeah. I'm glad to be here. We're going to get together on the farm. And I can't wait till yeah. we build a fire and set under the stars. And we'll have a powerful time. Yes, we will. We did today, too. It's going to happen, Thank brother. You, Billy Ray. It's going to happen. Man. God bless you, buddy. Yeah, you too. Right. I like this. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Renaissance. Please make sure to rate, review, and of course, subscribe so you can get new episodes delivered straight to your podcast player. Hey, and make sure to tune back in next week. Howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find the ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.